A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 131, In Defense of Bob Ross. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. Monkey see, monkey do. Once more. Monkey see, monkey do. The proverb is monkey see, monkey do, not human see, human do. But it's about humans. All proverbs about animals are actually about humans. And this is because humans are animals. They are more than animals, but they are also animals. They're mammals. A human is a rational animal. And a human is certainly closer to an angel than a beast. But a human retains many bestial qualities, many bestial needs. If you are not careful how you live, your animal needs will dominate your time and your heart and your mind. If you're not careful how you live, you will be a carnal man, not a spiritual man. And the carnal man is the man whose spirit follows his body. It's a man whose rational nature follows his animal nature. The carnal man is the man who is disordered. What is higher and loftier in him serves what is base and low. John Milton does a remarkable job illustrating this in Paradise Lost. In Paradise Lost, the Archangel Gabriel comes down to earth to teach Adam, to teach him 
about creation, the order of creation, the process of creation, but also to tell him about his enemy, the devil, and to instruct him on righteousness and wickedness. Gabriel gives many long lessons, long lectures, and when he's done, Adam, who has listened attentively, is given the floor. Gabriel says, what do you want to talk about? Adam says, I want to talk about Eve. And he describes the creation of Eve. He describes the conversations that he has with God as a prelude to the creation of Eve. And Gabriel's very intrigued. Gabriel was not present to see the creation of Eve. He explains that he was guarding the gates of hell at the time. And so Adam has actual information to offer Gabriel. When Adam concludes the description of Eve's creation, he mentions to Gabriel that sexual pleasure is his greatest enjoyment in all earthly pleasures. Adam mentions, he doesn't describe, he doesn't go into detail, but he mentions the act of sex with Eve and says that there's no pleasure on earth as great as that pleasure. And when Gabriel hears this, he gets this stern look on his face and he says, you can't allow animal pleasures to rise above rational pleasures in your estimation. Gabriel says, the things that you enjoy most about life cannot be things you have in common with animals. You have certain things in common with animals. You need sleep. You need comfort or you seek comfort. Food. Procreation. But your soul is disordered if you have elevated animal pleasures above rational pleasures. There are many things you can do that animals cannot do. You can speak with God. You can contemplate the nature of God. You can lift up your mind. It's why you stand on two feet, not four. The fact that man stands upright is an indication of how his thoughts should proceed. So lift up your thoughts the way that you lift up your body. And Adam responds with this kind of dismissive, oh yeah, of course, yes, that's what I meant. The only way to not behave like an animal is to constantly remind yourself that your animal qualities are animal qualities, lest they become the only qualities you recognize that you have. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on the things that pertain to God, that pertain to the angels. Adopt angelic concerns. And be capable of leaving behind earthly concerns. You'll never entirely do away with earthly concerns. And the righteous life is not dependent on leaving entirely behind your animal concerns, but the righteous life is dependent on being able to leave those behind. And the only way that you can be able to leave those behind is to leave them behind periodically, to set aside your need for animal things. 
Monkey see, monkey do. Or, in other words, you will do all the things you see done. You will behave like the people in front of you. Monkey see, monkey do means you will want the things that you see the people around you wanting. You will want the things your friends want. You may even want the things your enemies want, simply because you have seen them wanting them. You will dress as you see others dress. The power of this proverb is, of course, its brevity, its bluntness. The proverb establishes this direct connection between point A and point B, between seeing and doing. And it's confrontational because what we want to do is establish this long serpentine pipeline between point A and point B that doesn't actually connect them. We don't want point A to be connected with point B. If point A is not connected to point B, then we can watch whatever we want to. We can set before ourselves whatever we want to if there's not unnecessary connection. What we want to say is not monkey see, monkey do. What we want to say is monkey see, monkey contemplate for a long time what he see with a biblical worldview. Monkey only do what is right. But that's not how it works. It's not how it works most of the time. This proverb makes right action surprisingly easy. Monkey see, monkey do means all you have to do is put good things in front of you. Which is possible far more often than we like to admit. Granted, you can't have good things constantly in front of you, but you can have good things in front of you far more often than you want to have good things in front of you. You can set the image of Christ and his friends before you on a regular basis and follow their example. You can set pleasant, good, upright things before you. You can set pure things before you, innocent things before you, tranquil and peaceful things before you. But, eh, where's the fun in that? Why put that kind of thing before you when you can fantasize about murder and adultery and decadence? And we say, well, I don't want to do any of those things. I just want to look at them. But why? Now, being a high school teacher as I am, and having spent years arguing about movies, and being, I think of myself as someone who has been on both sides of the movie divide. And I described this in Love What Last, that there was a long period in my life when I thought that gritty things were good things. When I sought out gritty films because I thought they were realer than pleasant films. I've already given it away. What's the most common reason we give? What's the most common excuse we give 
for wanting to gaze at murder and adultery and decadence and torture. The most common answer is, I want to look at those things because they are real. That's what we say. Those are real. They are actual. They exist within the continuum of creation somewhere. Somewhere, someone is being murdered. Murdered, Murder is real. Adultery is real. All these things have actuality, and that is why I want to look at them. I want to look at them because they're real. The thing is, having given this argument many times, I don't actually believe it. Even back when I gave this argument, well, those things are real. I knew that it proved too much. To argue that you want to see these things because they're real proves too much because you don't want to see all real things. You just want to see lurid real things. Murder and adultery are real. Yeah. Boring factory work is real, too. Boring factory work is real, and it's far more common than murder. There are far more people involved in boring jobs than there are people getting murdered every day. So why, don't we, why do you not want to set boring factory work in front of you? It's boring. Yeah, but it's real. Isn't that really what you care about? The placid lives of geriatric widowed librarians are real. Constipation is real. The fact something's real doesn't prove you need to see it. The fact that something actually existed in history doesn't prove that you need to be there for it. Sorry, Saving Private Ryan, it's not necessary that you view the realistic graphic destruction of the human body any more than it's necessary you view the graphic reproduction of the human body. It's okay if you don't expose yourself to the shame, degradation, and destruction of the human body. You'll be fine. You'll be fine if you don't know what the beaches of Normandy looked like. You'll make it. When I teach art history, there's a thought experiment I like to put my students through. When we come to a significant work of art, I ask them this. Let's say you had a huge like wall-sized, framed reproduction of this painting hanging on a wall in your bedroom. And it was the first thing you saw when you woke up, last thing you saw before going to bed. What effect would having a gorgeous reproduction of this painting do to you over the course of a year. How would it affect you? How would it affect you to see Botticelli's Birth of Venus every morning when you woke up? How would it affect you to see the calling of St. Matthew every morning? How would it affect you to see Velasquez's Water Carrier of Seville every day. 
No student ever says, yeah, I don't think it would affect me. No one says that. There are certain paintings where students sometimes say, yeah, it wouldn't affect me, but they're never paintings of images. They're never paintings of people doing things. Sometimes students report that an abstract uh, Rothko or Jackson Pollock wouldn't really have an effect on them over the course of a year. I can almost believe that. That if you had some big old floating rectangles from Mark Rothko hanging up in your room, might not do much to you. It might make you a little dumber, but it probably wouldn't have a great effect on you. Images affect us in ways that are too deep for us to really explain. It's one of the reasons why I like this proverb so much. There's no attempt to explain it. There's no attempt to explain the connection between what you see and what you do. It's enough for you to know that it's there. It's enough for you to know that there is a pipeline from your eyes to your heart that very rarely is routed through your brain. The brain very rarely has a say over action when the eyes have been so strongly informed. If you want to understand the importance of images, the power of images that we all understand, just look at a teenage boy's locker. Look at the images that a teenage boy puts up in his locker. If that boy's on a basketball team, there's a good chance that there's a picture of a great basketball player in his locker. If a girl is a ballerina, there's a good chance there's a ballerina up in her locker. Not just any ballerina, a great ballerina, a great basketball player. Why? Why does the 17-year-old basketball player put a picture of Michael Jordan up in his locker? What are you hoping to happen here? I ask students this. Why does a ballerina put a picture of a great ballerina up in her locker? And what they say, the responses they often give are fairly mystical. They say things like, well... If you look at something great, maybe you'll do something great. Maybe it's enough to just be reminded of greatness throughout the day. Maybe it's enough to have the example of greatness set before you on an hourly basis. Maybe it's enough to do something. Maybe it's enough to prevail on your soul, to have this constant reminder of greatness, to always set images of greatness before you, lest you forget. Lest you forget to be great, lest you pursue mediocrity by default. So it's, I mean, these days, it's free to put images of greatness up around you. You can watch... A movie with exemplary characters worthy of emulation just as easily as you can watch a tawdry movie 
filled with characters you wouldn't let within 50 yards of your children. And we want to believe that our minds are stronger than they are. We want to believe that our minds have a more active role in our actions than they do. But so much of our actions are determined by our surroundings. And we can determine our surroundings to a great extent. Again, not always, but far more often than we would like to admit. But we feed our brains junk all the time and believe that somehow our minds that are fed junk all the time retain some greatness from somewhere, some acumen, some skill at thinking from somewhere, though we do not enable them to do this. We don't feed them for this. We don't feed our minds for contemplation. We assume that our minds are capable of contemplation and then feed them junk and we enjoy the spectacle of trash and believe that simply because we condemn trash as trash, it's not getting in. But if it's getting into your eyes, it's getting into your heart. Trust your brain less. I'm not saying you should be irrational. What kind of movies should you watch? Start, when you're picking movies to watch, when you're picking music to watch, start with the assumption that you're an idiot who needs to be educated. Like every morning, every morning ask yourself how you're going to escape this idiocy that plagues you. Set the kind of things in front of you that an idiot attempting to escape their idiocy would set before them. Doubt your mind. Doubt the strength of your mind. Doubt the acumen of your thought. Don't assume that your brain is worth all that much. That's how your enemy keeps getting to you. That's how the devil makes so much headway on you is he assumes your brain is basically worthless because it is the devil goes straight for the body he's always tempting you with this thing or that thing the devil never says you should lust the devil always says you should lust after her the devil never says you should be a glutton he says you should eat the whole bag of those chips right there the ones in your hand. It is possible to resist the devil. How? By running, by fleeing from him, by using your body, by refusing to look at the things that he wants to set before you, the things that he wants you to imitate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. 
It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.